This is NBA Sound System Live, featured on NBA.com sites around the world and archived on the NBA Sound System podcast feed, where you get your podcasts by searching NBA Sound System. Thank you for joining us. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, each with the handle at NBA Sound System, or visit us at NBASoundSystem.com for more. Now, NBA Sound System Live. NBA Sound System Live. Happy Draft Lottery Day to those who are celebrating. There's only four teams in the NBA that don't have their eye on the uh, NBA mock drafts out there, Scott. Um, but we do. We got you covered. We, we'll talk about we the final do. four. Yeah, we'll talk about the final four and the uh, 26 teams who are uh, going to keep their eyes on the NBA Draft Lottery in a little bit. We'll talk about the Milwaukee Bucks. We'll talk about the Atlanta Hawks and their surprise and, of course, uh, the topic du jour is Mr. Ben Simmons. We'll uh, dive deep into Simo and see what's going on with him in Philadelphia. I'm Carlin Gay. He's Scott Rafferty. Scott, how you doing, my man? Colin, I'm I'm doing better than the Sixers this week. Um, I, I'm excited <laughs> about tonight's game, too, between the Suns and Clippers. I'm excited yes. to see how the lottery shakes out. I'm excited about the Eastern Conference Finals beginning tomorrow. So still lots. We're only down to four teams now, but still a lot to be excited about if you're an NBA fan. So all is well on my end. How are you doing? I'm great. Uh, I'm excited about the draft lottery. It's uh, one of those events on the NBA calendar that you forget about until the day of. And then when it comes or when you're when you're approaching the day, you sort of start digging in deeper into the draft and everyone becomes a draft expert. And uh, I am one of those fake draft experts right now. Um, but the real draft expert for our team, Mr. Kyle Irving, has a big board available over on NBA.com. Um, and number one, he has Cade Cunningham, and that is a stone-cold lock as number one, uh, pretty much regardless whoever gets the number one overall pick after tonight's draft lottery. So it's a Cade Cunningham sweepstakes, and everybody falls in after that. Um, the draft lottery goes down tonight. There are uh, 14 teams involved. Um, there's a lot of storylines and intrigue, uh, and we touched on some of this last week. You wrote the article talking about the biggest storylines heading into the draft lottery. And, uh, it, I mean, it, not much has changed, really, in terms of uh, some of the teams that we're going to be looking for in this draft lottery, but there's a lot riding on this. Like every year it always feels like those ping pong balls have to bounce the right way for one team to, for their next five years to really change the course of, uh, course of history. One thing did change the, uh, the thunder got a number, another first round pick. So that's, oh, yeah, you're right. <laughs> that's, that's right. three first round picks, Jeez. two potentially in the lottery in this draft. So they're just stockpiling that. They got that, um, in the Kemba Walker, Al Holford trade, which was reported earlier this week. But yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of teams that have a lot at stake tonight, uh, especially when the the number one pick is expected to be a guy who, who I, look, I, I'm not a draft expert. Um, this is usually the time that I kind of start digging into some of the film of these players and, and getting excited about what they can bring to the NBA. But everyone who I think I trust in the draft world and, and has a good track record said that Cade Cunningham is the real deal. He's going to be a multi-time all-star guy that you can build around. And anytime that you can get someone like that, it's obviously has the potential to completely shift your franchise. But in addition to that, you know, this is this has the makings of a deep draft. Um, and even if you don't get the number one pick, which would hurt, it seems like there's going to be a lot of teams that are going to be in good shape moving forward. And yeah, we talked about it last week, but you know, the potential for the Thunder to get two lottery picks, a Magic team to get two lottery picks, um, you know, a Detroit Pistons team that's clearly rebuilding, getting the number one pick. Like there's just, the, 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 what happens tonight, the way the ping pong balls fall, it, it can change the directions of so many different franchises. So it, it's going to be fascinating to watch and, and follow along because as I said, there's, there's just going to be a ton invested into it. Yeah, and uh, for for those uh, fake draft experts like me, follow along with our uh, Kyler. I mean, he'll have everything. Yeah, he'll have everything covered tonight. Uh, following the uh, draft lottery, um, even though you're not an expert and I'm not either, there, we still kind of get excited about things that happen. And then uh, I think I might have asked you this this last week, but I'll ask again this week because things have changed. Is there a team that you're kind of hoping? Or you would be interested in seeing win the lottery just because of the storyline, just because of the intrigue, and, and potentially having Cade Cunningham join their roster. 
Yeah, I think the, the first team that comes to mind is the Thunder, just because look, they're, they're already in a rebuild. This is not a situation where I think you add Cade Cunningham and suddenly they're going to be a top five, six seed, maybe even competing for the playoffs next year. But you add a Cade Cunningham to Shea, who's Shea Gilgis Alexander, who's already kind of an all star caliber player. He made that leap this season. Um, you add that kind of player to Lugens Dort, who is. I, I thought I had a real shot at making all defensive team this season and, and got votes, but that that guy is going to be one of the best primitive defenders in the year in the NBA for years to come. They also have Poku, who's <laughs> maybe the biggest mystery in the NBA in terms of what kind of player he could build or become into. So I, I think the potential of adding a player like that to that core already is super exciting. But I would also like to see, you know, the Magic. I think it would be a great story if they got the number one pick based on everything they've gone through over the last couple of years and. I, I mean, the Raptors, we talked about them a little bit last week, but they're kind of the Warriors as well. But the, the, the Warriors and the Raptors are kind of the two teams in the lottery that just aren't the same as the others. I think they, they had a really weird season in Florida. Obviously, things did not go their way, but they have look a proven championship core, a core that can still get better in Fred VanVleet, OG Ananobi and Pascal Siakam and one of the best coaches in the league and in Nick Nurse and the, to think that they could you know potentially win the number one pick which they have relatively low odds I think it's like a eight percent ten percent kind of thing we have seen teams with those odds win the lottery before and to think that they could add a Kate Cunningham to that call I mean they, they could turn it around really quickly yeah they have 7.5 percent chance of landing at the number one overall pick but there is a 31.9% chance that they end up in the top four. I think they'd be happy with that if it happened that way. And uh, by the way, it's 7.5 is a small chance, but it's better than no chance. So uh, the Raptors Mm -hmm. sitting there uh, with an opportunity to jump up and leap up. Uh, I agree with you. I would love to see Cade in uh, in a spot like OKC because that team is young and growing and just add another potential star to that would feel great. Um, But I I think I'm going to go with Sacramento. Um, The Kings have been bad for a long time. For them to get the number one overall pick and then have to choose Cade Cunningham, (laughs) and hopefully they do that, because the last (laughs) time they had an opportunity to choose uh, a potential uh, you know, all-star, they, they passed. But uh, to get get up there and have to choose Katie Cunningham and, and, and then potentially pair him with that backcourt of De'Aaron Fox, and they already have Halliburton coming off the bench, that would be very interesting to me. Um, and then they, you could you could then, if you're the Kings, you could probably move on from uh, Buddy Heald um, and, and look to sort of build around those three guards that you have in the backcourt. That would be interesting to me. I'm not going to lie. That's not the team that I was expecting to, to come out of your mouth then. But um, yeah, I mean... Look, I, I love De'Aaron Fox, and he he feels like he's kind of flown under the radar over the last couple of years, um, and, and he's and yeah, and he's he's really improved. I mean, he was speaking of you know kind of guys who've made that All Star leap or in that conversation. He he was in that this season, but um, you know, the, getting that team relevant again, um, building a better team around De'Aaron Fox, that would absolutely be exciting. But they I, they only have like a four and a half percent chance, I think it is right. So they have even lower law, sorry, lower odds than the Raptors. So. Again, we just said it. It's, it. That doesn't mean it's impossible. It's just unlikely. But um, yeah, it, it, that's what's fun about this. A team that with those low odds could still, in, in theory, still win it. Yeah, and I, I am a big fan of the way that the draft lottery now breaks down. Before yeah, uh, you know the new change, it really does open up the door for a lot of teams to leap into the top four at least that probably wouldn't have had chances to do that in the uh, under the old system like for, like think about New Orleans they might be able to leap up into the top four they have a 20% chance of getting into the top four and now you have an opportunity to maybe add one of those top five prospects um, you know to to a core of Brandon Ingram and, and Zion Williamson uh, for a new hood coach there in, in New Orleans so there is a lot of intrigue a lot of excitement uh, around the draft lottery which goes down at 8 p 8 30. Uh, p.m. Eastern Time on ESPN. Uh, we'll have all the coverage for you. You can handle over on NBA.com uh, everywhere in the world. Um, is there is there a prospect that you're most excited to see play in the NBA? I know I know everyone's calling Kay Cunningham the next big thing, but is there someone else that you, you're really excited to see play in the NBA as a rookie? I mean, not to sound like a broken record at this point, but again, I, I don't have, I, I don't know a ton about this draft class. Um, I haven't done a deep dive, but I mean, Cade Cunningham, I'm the most excited to see because I think anytime 
I've, I've seen him being compared to, to guys like Luka Doncic. I've seen Jason Tatum comparisons thrown around. I've seen Jimmy Butler comparisons thrown around. This six foot seven guard slash forward who can post up. He can pass from one side of the court to the other. He has shooting range. He can shoot off the dribble. Like there, there's just a ton to be excited about him. So I, I'm most intrigued to see him, but. I've heard great things about Evan Mobley, um, a big man, seven footer who, who, you know, can do a little bit of everything. I've seen him being compared to like a Chris Bosch, Jalen Suggs. There's obviously a lot of, a lot of hype about him. And I'm also excited to see what happens to the Ignite um, prospects and Jalen Green and Jonathan Kaminga. Cause I, I think the route that they've taken to kind of get to this point, um, they're both considered to be, I think locks to be in the lottery, potentially two top five picks. I, I'm just kind of excited to see how their journey plays out as well. Yeah, I, I'm excited to see the two G League guys. Uh, the, the name I'll throw at you that many people are still kind of buzzing about is is Josh Giddy, uh, the Australian um, kid that that played in the NBL in Australia for the Adelaide 36ers. Um, he's he was listed prior uh, to the last couple of weeks ago. He was six eight, one eighty five. I think he's up to like two ten now. Uh, he's put on some size. He's he's uh, he's, he's an intri- intriguing prospect. Um, you know, had a great season in the NBL, and we saw what that did for Lamelo Ball, uh, mm-hmm. who ends up being Rookie of the Year, the one year in the NBL. And we also saw a little bit of what that did. I think it accelerated RJ Hampton's development as well, playing over there. Obviously, Hampton did not get the spotlight that Lamelo Ball got this season. Um, rightfully so, he didn't he didn't play at that level. But I think he came on. Um, after being traded to Orlando and was able to find a little bit of some some playing time. He played about 25 minutes a game and showed that he he does belong in the NBA. Uh, Efficiency-wise, he wasn't great, but he was able to uh, to prove that he is uh, someone that Orlando kid could continue to build with. Kid's twenty years old, has already two pro seasons under his belt, um, one in the NBA and one in the NBL. So that's that's huge, uh, and you can't buy that type of experience. So um, I am looking forward to seeing Josh Giddy in the NBA to see if if it's just a one off or if it, this is really a thing because um, it's not only just Hampton and and, and Ball, you know, uh, Jayshon Tate who who made All Rookie Team this year as well uh, is is another player that played in the NBL uh, of course not many people know that name off the top of their head but uh, mm-hmm. he, he had a he had a nice little stretch with the Houston Rockets playing 70 games with them so that is uh, that's the NBA draft lottery coming up tonight um, and we are both excited for that as we said 26 teams will be uh, keeping their eyes peeled for that um, let's get to the playoffs let's get to the good stuff the Milwaukee Bucks uh, overcame a lot by beating the Brooklyn Nets. Um, obviously, the Nets were hampered and compromised with injury. Um, and who knows what would have happened if James Harden and Kyrie Irving were both healthy. But the bottom line is you can only play who's in front of you. The Bucks did that. They beat the Brooklyn Nets in a grueling seven-game series. Um, and they had to go on the road to do it. They had to uh, withstand a Kevin Durant, uh, you know, Big time jump shot at the end of regulation to do it. They go to overtime. That was a slugfest, Scott. That's that's one of those series where um, you not only uh, you know learn a lot in the win, but you earn the respect, I think, of the rest of the league by getting out of that one because there was a lot going against the Bucks in that series. There was history. There was the uh, swirling rumors about Bud. Um, there's the contract that they gave to Drew Holiday in the middle of the season uh, and all that they gave up for him uh, to, 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 to perform and to get them over the hump at the high level, and he wasn't able to really reach that high level of play so far in the playoffs. There was a lot for the Brooklyn, for the uh, Milwaukee Bucks to overcome in that series. It wasn't just the Brooklyn Nets. So I, I am of the mindset that the Milwaukee Bucks finally got over their hump. I think that was the series that they needed to prove to themselves that they belong and that they are a championship team. And I think from here on, um, my my money is on the Milwaukee Bucks to win the NBA championship. Where do you sit? It's it's funny because after that Heat series, when they swept them in the first round, I, I was super high on this Bucks team. I mean, you and I talked about it before the Nets series, and I know you had the Bucks winning in six, so did I. And some of that was just... I felt they would ultimately win the series, but I didn't feel good about them winning a game seven on the road. So I think the only situation where they could have won that was in six. And I think it's just funny because it was such a weird series for them. Like they they basically, Kyrie was only played basically three and a half games. 
Harden played essentially three games and he was compromised. He he did not look like himself. And you know that they blew that that game. Uh, was it five? Yeah, it was game. Uh, it was game five, right? That they uh, they blew yep. in. And after that, and after game one as well, when Harden went down in the opening minute of that game, it just felt like they there was two games that they kind of let slip out of their hands. And really, they should have won that. It felt like they should have won that series in six games. And but to your point, look, you, you can only play who's ahead of you. They took care of business. The way they bounced back in that game five, I feel like a lot of teams might have just folded in that situation. And I think that the fact that they didn't and they they bounced back and kind of took that punch speaks a lot to to Giannis and the the example that he sets for that team and the way he plays because he never just seems to get down. And sure, you can criticize him for some of the shots he takes, the way he plays, the way he attacks the basket and how sometimes it's predictable what he's going to do. That guy plays as hard as he can every single second he's on the court. And and that really does um, impact the way that his teammates play as well. And yeah, they showed up in Game 7. As I said, I didn't think that they would be able to beat a Nets in a Game 7 situation in Brooklyn. And they proved me and a lot of other people who thought that way wrong. Uh, Giannis was absolutely spectacular in that Game 7. Drew Holiday struggled what felt like all game long, but stepped up in the key moments. So did Chris Middleton. Let's and be real, Scott. Drew Holiday struggled all series long. He did. He did, uh, offensively anyway. I think defensively yes. he had some really strong moments. and um, But yes, I but he stepped up. Like it, it was one of those weird things where it felt like that game seven, you almost in your head being like, wow, they gave up, gave up all this for Drew Holiday. This is not looking good. <laughs> and then it was almost in that final two minutes when he hit those like two or three big shots. In my mind, I was like, oh yeah, that's why they get Drew Holiday because even if he's three for seventeen and in, in the full by the fourth quarter of Game Seven, you still f- want him to take those shots and you're still confident that he's going to make them. And and he he hit them and they needed every single one of those. And look, they outlasted the Nets. And I think when you look at the teams that are remaining, we can talk about the Hawks in a minute. They've been a fantastic team, a great surprise. The Bucks enter this series, I think, as heavy favorites, favorites, and rightly rightly so. And, you know, if they've placed the Clippers or the Suns in the finals, it's not going to be easy. But this team is absolutely the favorites to win right now. They are. They are for me, too. And I, what for, for me personally, what I needed to see out of the Milwaukee was them winning in adversity. Um, you know, the, the, the way that destroyed the Miami Heat in that first round series was great for them. But there wasn't much adversity outside of the game one. Uh, the, the, the Heat just didn't look like the same team that we saw in the bubble a year ago. And also, they, they looked like they quit after game, you know, in the middle of game three. So it looked like, you know, you felt like that was going to be a sweep uh, in the middle of game three. So there wasn't much adversity there for me to see, okay, um, you know, can, can they get over a, a tough break here? And in the middle of this series, down 3-2, I don't care what anybody says, um, the world expected Milwaukee to roll over in either game six or seven. And there was plenty of time for them to do that in both of those games, and they did not. Um, and they were able to come through. And when you say to me that Chris Middleton shot 41% from the field and the Milwaukee Bucks won a series, I say to you I'd be shocked if you had told me that before the series started. If you told me that Drew Holiday would shoot 36% from the field and they'd still win the series, I would tell you that it would be impossible. So P.J. Tucker shot 35%. It was just a horrible shooting uh, series for the Milwaukee Bucks outside of really honest uh, when mm. he decided not to take threes or when he was not at the foul line. Um, it, it, and they still were able to squeeze out uh, a victory. That History doesn't show uh, what you go through. They just show the 4-3 at the end of the day. And it's 4-3 for them, and they move on to the next series here. And I think, you know, they're not going to shoot worse than they shot were, uh, against Brooklyn. I, I just don't think that they're going to shoot as poorly as they did um, in that series. They shot as a team in that series 30, 30% from three-point range. I just don't see that happening for, for this Milwaukee Bucks team. Um, and, and 44% from the floor, I just don't see that happening. I think that the Bucks find their three-point stroke. I think that they blow the, the, the Hawks out of the water. Uh, and, and I think that we see them in the NBA Finals with a with a great chance of beating whoever comes out of the Western Conference. I think um, we learned a lot about Giannis uh, in this playoff run. Um, he is stubborn. He is going to take shots that make you scratch your head. He is going to take shots that make you groan and, and wonder why he's doing it. He's going to make plays that make you groan and wonder why he would do that when the rest of the world knows exactly where he's going on the floor. But the bottom line is he did play great in that game seven. I don't think he's getting enough credit for his play in that game seven because he was fantastic. He he was able to really 
uh, imposed his will from start to finish and kept the score ticking over while he waited for his his uh, compadres to, to, to show up to the party. And you, you saw eventually Drew Holiday did and Chris Milton made some shots as well. So I I, I really liked what I saw of the Bucks. Their, their grit and their toughness, uh, I think, is going to be able to carry them through. Um, now, speaking of grit and toughness, we, we do have to give a lot of credit to the Atlanta Hawks. because Even though I'm counting them out here in the Eastern Conference Finals, I don't see it going beyond five games. But the Atlanta Hawks, Scott, um, not only are they surprising people uh, by doing this as early as they're doing it in terms of their development arc, I think they're doing it in a way that I, I many people wouldn't have you know went out of their way to expect. And I do have the utmost respect right now for for what Trey Young has done in these playoffs. Um, we knew I knew he was good. Um, I didn't know he was this good, and I also didn't know that he was this tough. Going on mm. the road in both series. And winning the road games that they've won, um, you know, getting the 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 the, ne- the Knicks out and winning two two games in Madison Square Garden, that was a hostile environment there, and they were able to do that. And then Philly, it wasn't easy to win there. That crowd was really hot in all of those games to go there and win a game seven the way they did with Trey Young shooting as poorly as he did in that game seven, but never you know never uh, you know looked down and, and hung his head throughout that game. I thought it showed immense toughness, and and this Hawks team is tough, um, and and I think that they are they're well on their way to uh, to get to a higher ceiling than I think I had set for them uh, next season. Because let's remember, Bogdanovich is hurt now, and also DeAndre Hunter, who had a terrific year in the NBA, um, and I expect him to be better next season. It was all is also out of the lineup, so they'll get them back, and uh, they'll have this playoff run under their belts. I think the Hawks is uh they're gonna be a team to be reckoned with in the Eastern Conference. And Hunter would have absolutely helped in this Bucks matchup, by the way. But I mean, yeah, Trey Young, I feel like Devin Book is in this conversation as well. But but players who have completely changed the narrative um with this playoff run because I think he's he's always had kinda had these good stats like he puts up big numbers, empty stats on a bad team kind of reputation. And he's absolutely shredded that in these playoffs. And we've already talked about it a little bit last week and a couple of weeks ago, but not only to to do it in those big moments against these teams on the road, he's taken out two of the best defensive teams, two top five defensive teams in the league this season in his first playoff run. And also, by the way, the 76ers, I don't know if I'd say championship or bust, but they had championship aspirations this season. Like this, this team was not a joke. And obviously, Joel Embiid was dealing with an injury. Ben Simmons faded down the stre- down you know the stretch of that series and everything like that. But to handle that business in Game Seven on the road, beating these two defensive powerhouses, I mean, th- th- he's tough. He's incredible. A testament to kind of the the players that have surrounded him because I think they had. Last offseason, they had one of the most interesting offseasons in like the free agents move that, moves that they made, the decisions that they made getting Danilo Gallinari, Bogdan Bogdanovich, and it almost felt like they were trying to speed up the process a little too much. Like It felt like they were a team that expected to win now, but it didn't seem like they were, had any chance of competing now, and here they are in the, in the Eastern Conference Finals, and I think, like you, I do think the Bucs... The, the Bucks should handle their business. I, I have them in six games. I toyed with the idea of five games. I went with six ultimately as a sign of respect for these Hawks because I feel like you just can't count them out. Um, and, and Trey Young is that good and everything. But it, it the, I, I think the key for me is Bogdanovich because one of the things that makes this team so good is not only Trey Young and his ability to manipulate defenses, make every pass in the book, just kind of shred your pick and roll defense up. It's the fact that they have shooters all over the court. They have multiple ball handlers who, once Trey gives it up, like they can run a pick and roll and beat you on the opposite side of the court. And Bogdanovich has been great in this series, but he left game six against the Sixers with a knee injury. And he only played 21 minutes in game seven and he just didn't look like himself. And I do wonder... This team playing against the Bucks, who have absolutely you you said it, they they the Bucks were not good offensively in that net series outside of Giannis, really. Defensively, they they've been firing all cylinders. And this team, I think, matches up really well. Drew Holiday taking on the, the Trey Young assignment. I checked it the other day. They've only played each other once in their NBA careers, which I think is is very interesting. And that, that's gonna be a fun battle in this series. But I think to your point, like the, the, Trey Young has, has proven himself to be a star. This team should be in a position to compete for for a long time with him kind of leading the way. And also, like, I, I think John Collins is one of those guys who's really helped his his reputation in these playoffs. And he's not putting up, like, huge scoring numbers or anything, but he's, he's doing all the little things that they need. And I think this is going to be another huge series for him because I think 
Look, ultimately, like the Heat, of the teams in the playoffs this season, I think the Heat were best equipped to defend Giannis. We saw it last season, obviously, in the last postseason. I think when you look at the Nets, outside of Blake Griffin, who I think actually did pretty well, they didn't have anyone who could really match up with him physically. And I think when you look at this Hawks roster, no one really jumps out. But I do think like they can make life difficult with him, with John Collins being physical with him in a way that like Jay Crowder was last season, and having Clint Capella in that back line protecting the rim. So I think that's going to be another interesting kind of subplot to this series, uh, because obviously, I mean, if they have any chance of winning, they're going to have to slow down Giannis. Yeah, but the problem with that is, and I, and I agree with you, I think John Collins is a good defender against Giannis, or at least a good option. The problem with that is is that you're asking him to def- defend and then score as much as he did uh, against the the 76ers in that series, and he was 15-10 and 10 in that series uh, and had some incredible finishes around the rim, oh, yeah. uh, in, including two, two over Embiid. One ended up on his t-shirt, so um, he, he was spectacular in that series, and quite frankly, him and Clint Capella were the only two players um, that got regular minutes that went over 50% from the field. So uh, when you talk about the Bucks' defense, if the, the Sixers' defense is still really good defense, but the, I think the Bucks' defense is a little bit more versatile and it will cause some problems for um, the Atlanta Hawks. Scoring, I think, is going to be an issue. Uh, and as you said, Bogdanovich being compromised with injury. Um, if he's not 100%, then I, I, I do see a short series, and that's why I have them in five. Had Bogdanovich been healthy, had uh, DeAndre Hunter been healthy, I think I would be legitimately thinking about maybe the Atlanta Hawks pushing them to seven and even getting to the NBA Finals. But uh, I just think the injuries, uh, they're going to catch up. Uh, I don't expect Kevin Herter to have another Game 7 performance uh, for for an entire series. But you never know. That's why we play the you games. Because, you never know. Um, you know, coming into this, if you had told me that the, uh, you know, the Brooklyn Nets would be without uh, Kyrie Irving and, and, and James Harden for an extended period of time in that series, uh, I, I probably would have said the Bucks in five. But uh, here we are. Um, so, uh, the Hawks beat a team that uh, you know had aspirations of going to the NBA title um, in, in Philadelphia, and the spotlight in the loss for Philly has fell on our friend Ben Simmons. Um, Scott, you and I both uh, work for NBA Australia as well as we do Canada and India, um, and we spend a lot of time you know dissecting Ben Simmons, and we might know him a little bit more than you know people that don't cover. Philadelphia 76ers on a daily basis. This is a player that I think is getting crushed for the one flaw that he has. And right now, rightfully so, because he, he did not, and we've said it on this podcast actually uh, many times. For me, it's not that he can't shoot. What the issue was in game seven and even game six and five was that he wouldn't shoot. Uh, and I think that was more harmful to the Sixers than it was. Um, helpful in, in terms of in, in his mind, I think he was thinking, "Hey, if I can't shoot, uh, I'm at a liability. I'm a liability for our team because I'm going to shoot and miss." But I think what it turned out to be that he went too far uh, into that thinking and just became, um, you know, a player that was not even looking at the rim, and that's what really hurt the Sixers. And obviously, everyone's going to point out that the dunk that he had and, and gave up to a to a Thibault, you know, layup opportunity. Um, and Thibault got fouled and went to the line. But I think if he was just aggressive in that moment, knowing even if he can't shoot, knowing that he would get fouled, I think that it's a different scenario, and I think the Sixers would actually be in the Eastern Conference Finals. Um, where, where do you sit on the whole Ben Simmons stuff? Because there's a lot of floating uh, storylines around him. There's Doc Rivers trying to lock him into the gym to work on his jumper. There's there's people that want him just completely traded and out of town. Uh, there's people that think he needs a new coat of paint on him in the form of a new NBA jersey to give him a new scenario. There's people that think he should play for the Australia Boomers to get that confidence back. Where do you sit on Ben Simmons right now? And you said that we dissected it, right? And if, if you did, I think that was a very nice way of putting it because I think we got into some pretty heated arguments over the last 36 hours about Ben Simmons because he's a very polarizing player. And I think it, the, the hard part is that in, in these conversations, it feels like it gets lost a lot of what he does well. And it's it's important to remember he's one of the best perimeter defenders in the NBA. He's a fantastic passer. He's He's a beast in transition. But obviously, the, the things that he struggles with, which is shooting both outside of the paint at the free throw line, makes him really difficult to kind of build a team around in the half court, especially when he's your primary ball handler. And it, look, it's an issue that we've seen in the playoffs the last, what, two or three, uh, I guess last season he was injured, but the last two or three series that he's been in, it, it's been a problem. And 
I, I just, I ultimately think a change of scenery would be best for him and both the 76ers because stylistically, I, I think we've, we've, it, it's pretty clear at this point that him and Embiid kind of clash offensively, defensively, that they're, they're fantastic together because you have Ben Simmons just hounding players on the perimeter and you have Embiid in the paint, who's one of the best rim protectors in the league. Like they're really hard to score against on, on the defensive end. Offensively, they just, don't really gel. And I think one of the interesting things about Ben Simmons moving forward is like, is this guy, is this a guy you want as your primary ball handler? Or is he someone who you do want to be like a, a power forward who's running the floor, pushing the pace in transition and setting more pick and rolls? Because I think one of the things that has become very clear in Philly is that obviously Joel Embiid has developed into one of the best shooting big men in the league. He had a career from three-point line. He was one of the statistically one of the best mid-range shooters in the league. But ultimately, he's a guy who lives in the paint. He's at his best when he's his back to the basket. He's he's bullying guys down low. And Ben Simmons is obviously not a scorer, but they they share that same real estate. And I do wonder, like, you know, Portland's being talked about as a potential destination for Ben Simmons because of the way they him and CJ McCollum, their salaries match up. Both of them seem like they might be able to be a better fit on, on different teams. And I think what's interesting about that is obviously Portland has Damian Lillard. He's their best player. And he operates out on the perimeter, draws so much attention out there. And that would just open up Ben Simmons to do what he does best in the half court. And that's that's still not a perfect fit, which speaks to how difficult he is to build around because they have Yusuf Nurkic, who doesn't shoot really shoot outside of the paint either. And you're going to run into spacing issues there. But I, I just do think ultimately a change of scenery would, would do well for him. And I, I would like to see kind of him being put in a position that plays better to his strengths. And I think that would go a long way in, in kind of freeing up him um, and maybe playing more confident in those situations. But obviously it's, it's clearly a problem because um, as good as he is in the regular season on both ends of the court, and I think you can still build a good team around him. If he can't kind of produce the same way in the playoffs, you're obviously going to have a very hard ceiling. I, uh, since, you know, seeing the game and, and thinking more about it, and you know, speaking to different people about it, I was just actually on uh, a radio in Charlotte, uh, WFNZ, talking to, to Nick uh, Wilson and Stan Norfleet about this. They were, you know, giving me trade scenarios of Ben Simmons in a Hornets uniform, and I, I don't know if I am Daryl Morey and I sit there and say I have to make this trade. I think Ben Simmons is 24 years old. I think he is going to get better than he is now. I, and I don't think that the clock has struck 12 yet on your championship window with both Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. Is it a, a, a seamless fit? No, of course not. If it was, we wouldn't be having this conversation. But I do think that there is still some chiseling that could be done on, and this is completely on the Ben Simmons side, of where he can figure out how to play alongside Joel Embiid and also Tobias Harris to a lesser extent. Um, I think the team, I think I think the team could win. I think they were good enough to win, um, and I, I just think that Ben Simmons is such a great player, and there is still time left on his clock. He's twenty four. Um, that if he's just able to figure out how to score in the postseason, um, because he's never going to become a great three point shooter. No one's going to expect him to do that. And if you are expecting him to do that, then forget about it. There's no shot of that. Um, but I think if he, if you just put him in situations where he is comfortable scoring, and he it also has to be him as well, right? Like there are there were times where he did not cut because he didn't want to get fouled, and I think that has to change. Um, so some of it is I think if I'm, I'm giving out the percentage pie, 70% of it is on Ben Simmons and just getting better with his 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 shot. But the other part of it is just being comfortable shooting. Um, if he's able to do those two things, I think that changes the Sixers' outlook drastically, and I'm not in a rush to trade him. Now, if you do trade him, um, I don't know if Portland's the best spot for him. Uh, I think it's the best spot for CJ McCollum. If you're if you're getting a gift in return, that's great. It works out for Philly. But if you're Portland, I don't think that helps you as a team. I think that puts you in the same situation that Philly was in. Um, and then you just don't have enough talent around that to mitigate that. We're talking about Simmons, who's going to be great and lead you to uh, a playoff berth. Would you get back to the first round? Would you get back to the playoffs? Absolutely in Portland. You would because you have two all-stars on your team in Ben Simmons and, and Damian Lillard. But 
once you get to the postseason, you're looking at another first-round exit. And I, I, that's just the way I see it because the same issues that p- plagued him in uh, Philly is going to bother him in Portland when you have a Yusuf Nurkic who isn't as good as Joel Embiid and a- as much of a, of a gravity um, you know, pull as Joel Embiid is offensively and defensively. Um, let's, like, Nurkic is fine defensively. He ain't Joel Embiid. So it does solve Portland's problems for the regular season because it makes them a better defensive team, but it does not help them in the postseason because it makes them a worse offensive team, in my opinion. So I don't think Portland's a match for him. I do. I would like to see him in a, in a San Antonio because I think you could build around him a little bit more there. Um, you know, Charlotte I, I found interesting because I think it works both ways and it gives you time in Charlotte because he's young and, and so is Lamelo to build around both of them and figure that out. Um, but it, it's tough. It's really tough to find a place to put Ben Simmons where you're getting equal to turn back if you're Philly. Um, and I and I don't know if I'm Daryl Morey if I'm in a rush to pull the trigger on a deal right now with the stock the way it is. I I'd push back on the Poland thing, and you and I have already talked quite a lot about this um, offline. But I, I do think offense is not a problem for this team. Like they went. They were matching basket for basket with a depleted Nuggets team in the first round of these playoffs, but they just couldn't get a stop. And I but think wait, wait a second. I'll stop you there. The, the reason why they were able to match basket to bat for basket, though, against Port, against Denver, rather, is because they have, A, Damian Lillard, who's an incredible player, but you're also trading the second best option in that scenario, which is C.J. McCollum. So you're, you're losing that. You're losing that for Portland, and you're replacing him with sure. Ben Simmons, who's not giving you the offense. So then your offense, which is not a problem now, then becomes a problem. I, but that's but that's why I push back on it because I don't think it'd become a problem. Obviously, you are giving up offense if you trade CJ McCollum for Ben Simmons, but you're trading it for defense, and that's going to help you potentially in the playoffs. And I also think, by the way, I said it already, like the Nurkic thing would be a problem because you you still have two guys who can't really score outside of the paint. But I do think in Portland, maybe that's a situation where they are better equipped to play small and i don't think one of the you and i talked about this as well i think one of the things that it's so easy i feel like it's such an easy comparison to to say like ben simmons could be a draymond green in the right situation i i push back on that as well because i feel like he's such a good perimeter defender but what makes draymond green so good as like a small ball center is he can switch everything but he's also one of the best rim protectors in the nba and we just haven't really seen that from ben simmons so but i do think in poland it's one of the situations where like robert covington has kind of played that small ball center position before with the rockets and he's kind of better equipped to play that kind of rim protector role in that situation so i do wonder if that's like a situation where they could downsize and now suddenly ben simmons is playing with a guy in Damian Lillard who basically draws double teams as soon as he crosses half court. And then if you give him the ball in the short roll with three other guys standing on the perimeter, because I in this situation, I'm kind of assuming they keep Robert, Robert Covington, they re-sign Norman Powell, um, and then you fill in that fifth play as needed against whatever you need, against depending on who you're playing against. I, I just I think that maybe is a good switch by getting rid of some offense and getting Ben Simmons' defense for the team that defense has been their their problem the last few years. So I I I I, I don't know if that's the making of a championship team in Portland, but I just I, I think I'm more optimistic about that fit than you are. Um, in terms of other teams. It, it is hard to come up with. I think this ultimately, if he does get traded, I wouldn't be surprised if some kind of team in the lottery uh, made a move for him, whether it is the Spurs, but even like a team like Cleveland, I wouldn't be all that surprised by. But um, one I, I spent a long time thinking about uh, was Boston, and I don't think they could really do it because I don't think they, they're they not going to be willing to part with what Philly would want in that deal. But I think surrounding him with like a Jason Tatum and an Al Horford and a Jalen Brown is fascinating to me if that was at all possible, which I don't think it is, but I'm still intrigued by it. And the other one, which I don't know how realistic it is, but I, I'm interested in is Dallas as well, because obviously Luca is who he is, a guy who's one of the best, best playmakers in the league, a guy who draws double teams like Dame does as soon as he crosses half court. But you also can let Ben Simmons play in space if you still have Paul Zingas. They have a ton of shooting on that team. Um, and defensively, obviously, Ben Simmons would make a difference. So th- those are like, in addition to Paul, and those are the two other teams that I've kind of been thinking about. Yeah, but those aren't realistic, Scott. Hey, who knows? Anything's anything's possible in the NBA. Anything's possible. Hey, the Warriors got Kevin Durant. Anything's possible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Well, uh, <laughs> we, we, we've done enough Ben Simmons bashing, and uh, I think you can go to uh, anywhere that's having NBA conversations to have those uh, Ben Simmons uh, talks. 
Um, by the way, we have some breaking news uh, here with uh, with USAB, the USA basketball team. Uh, as Chris Paul was originally said to be playing for the Olympic team this summer or want to play for the Olympic team this summer, he has now declined an invitation to join uh, the USA Olympic team um, this summer. Uh, he was, uh, according to Woj, is, uh, was trending towards decision over several days. Um, but uh, he figures that if the Suns reach the NBA Finals, there would be virtually no break between the end of the NBA season and the start of the Olympics, which I think if it goes to Game 7, uh, they're saying it's, what is it, uh, less than five days before that and the start of the Olympics, um, which will be tough for the uh, uh, anyone that makes the Finals to, to then fly to Tokyo and be expected to play in in any sort of game, so mm-hmm. um, I, I think it's you know it, it, it's it's not uh, the end of the world. I think Team USA is still going to be fine without Chris Paul. Still should win the gold medal, um, but uh, it's it, it does open up the opportunity now for someone else to play um, for for the Olympic team. It looks like Drew Holiday might be uh, one of the candidates to step up um, to play for the Olympic team this summer. So. Uh, I think we have one spot left on the Olympic team now with uh, with 11 guys reportedly committed to playing for the team. One spot left. Who do you see it going to? Who would you want it to go to? Ooh, that's a good question. I have not thought about that. Um, well, let's go through it this way. So the the, te- the 11 spots that have been reported are Damian Lillard, Bradley Beal, Jason Tatum, Draymond Green, Kevin Durant, Bam Adebayo, Devin Booker, James Harden, Chris Middleton, Kevin Love, and then, as you said, Drew Holiday instead of Chris Paul. Um, initially with this team, I was kind of worried about their size, their front court, but I think between Bam, Draymond, Durant, even Tatum is going to play, obviously, small ball four. I feel like Middleton, maybe you... Middleton actually, Middleton actually played some five for them at the World Cup as well when they went small. It was a Middleton uh, with the Celtics, with three Celtics at the time, Kemba, Tatum, and Brown. Uh, and Joe Harris was was on uh, mm-hmm. some lineups um, when they needed some some stops. So he, he's another guy that could play five in in a FIBA setting. Yeah, I mean you're you're probably the better person. Spe- that that feels like enough size to me in FIBA. Do, is, right? Do you think that's fair? Yeah, that's that's totally fair. I mean, the big lumbering bigs don't dominate FIBAs the, the the way that they used to. So you can get away with playing a Middleton at the five and not get crushed. And plus, you could also play zone if if it ever came down to it. Yeah, I can't remember exactly some of the other players who've been kind of reported as as Team USA is interested in them, but someone like a Paul George strikes me. Obviously, mm-hmm. I think he's a guy who can fit on any team because he provides shooting, versatility, he can make plays with the ball in his hands, and obviously defensively, he's amazing. Um, obviously, Kawhi Leonard, if Team USA could get him, that I feel like that would be the, the icing on the cake, but um, I, I don't know what the situation with his knee, so I feel like Paul George is probably the safer bet for that last spot. It, uh, the better question should have been, what does this team need? You you, you went two wings well, there. Um, do, do you feel like the, the, maybe a, another guard would help uh, now in the backcourt? Because I, I know Kyle Lowry would, would be a guy that would love to play, um, has played in the past, and, and probably would, uh, would would jump at the opportunity to do, to do it again. Um, you know, Fred Van Vliet would be another one that, I, that comes to mind. I don't think Fred Van Vliet's at, at that level, but – Definitely, Kyle Lowry has done it in the past, and they would need some leadership. Um, you know, in terms of making it the Olympics, there would, would would definitely help. And I don't think they need another big or or no, I don't think so either. Or anything. So he'd be the the one that comes to my mind, Kyle. Lowry. Yeah, because because the other nice thing about Drew Holiday too is he can basically defend full. I mean, he can defend full positions pretty comfortably, and um, so you can kind of mix and match depending on what you want. So yeah, if if you remove CP three. From this conversation, that they have enough scoring with like Booker, Beal, Harden, Middleton, Durant, Tatum. Like you don't need more scoring defensively. I think between Bam, Draymond, Durant. I mean, we we saw how good he he was defensively in that Buck series, and obviously in previous years. So they should have more than enough size and length. I feel like. Um, so yeah, maybe maybe going for another guard, another guy who can kind of just get you into your sets, not necessarily look for his own scoring because they've got plenty of that on this team. Um, so maybe like yeah, Kyle Lowry kind of does sound sound doesn't sound like a bad option. Let's put it that way. No, I don't think there really is a bad option when you're looking no, there isn't. at the pool there isn't. of Team USA. The one more name that I'll throw at you, um, if you're looking for youth, what about Zion? What about Zion getting a shot to play for the national team? If if you're thinking about youth, if you're thinking about the next four years, some of these guys won't be there, but Zion will be getting him to build a little bit of chemistry with Book. 
because uh, Book is one of the youngest players on the on the reported roster so far. What about Zion getting a shot? Hey, I, any chance to watch more Zion, sign me up. But um, I, I was going to say my first reaction was like, I do wonder how his game would translate to Europe because they just crash the paint so much more than they do in the NBA. And obviously no one can guard Giannis because, uh, sorry, Zion, because he's just a bowling ball. He's, he's so athletic, so strong. But then it got me thinking like Anthony Davis, obviously this is a different situation, but why he, he went to the, the London Olympics and we're kind of talking about the, the 9th, 10th, 11th, 12th guy at this point. Um, in saying that, Zion is awesome. He was an all-star this season for a reason. I Any chance to watch him, I, I would sign up for. I as well. Uh, I would love to see Zion. Um, so the Olympics uh, playing are coming Mobile up, Center. Scott. By the way, playing Small Ball Center with him and having all the spacing they could provide. I mean, he, he was awesome in New Orleans this year with one of the worst shooting teams in the NBA. So can you imagine him playing next to, to Dame, next to Tatum, Durant, Harden? Like, it, it, would, it would actually be hilarious. As a point center, right? It'd be insane. Uh, so Team USA, actually, uh, they're going to be in Group A when we do have the Olympic Games, by the way. Uh, the Olympic Games will run from uh, July 24th to the 8th of August. So that's coming up here shortly. Um, the 25th uh, will be the first game for, uh, I believe, Team USA. Um, and in their group, they will have Iran, France, and the winner of the Olympic qualifying tournament in Canada, which I will actually be there for. Um, and if I had to put my money on it, if you just want to fill a name in there, it's likely going to be Canada. Um, so you're looking at a group A of Canada, US, France, and Iran. Uh, the, probably the, the, the toughest matchup you would say out of those three for Team USA would be Canada, uh, then France, then Iran. Um, they shouldn't have any problem qualifying there, uh, and then they'll 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 cross over with uh, with another group that features Australia and uh, two empty spots for two OQT winners, Olympic qualifying tournament winners, which have yet to be announced. We'll find out in the next week or so who those two teams are. Nigeria is in the third plot, uh, four spot there. Um, uh, Team USA should win the gold medal here. Um, I, I don't think there's any debate about that, but there is going to be a real battle for silver. Um, there's a ton of teams that uh, could get it done. Um, already qualified, Scott. Already qualified for the uh, for the Olympics here. Um, on the men's side is Japan, Nigeria, Argentina, Iran, France, Spain, and Australia. Um, out of those teams that we already know of, are are you excited to see anyone play uh, outside of Team USA? Yeah, I'm excited to see Australia because I feel like they've been in this position for a while now, kind of competing for a a gold medal or a medal at all. And, you know, it does seem safe to assume that Team USA is going to win it all again. But I, I'm excited to kind of see what could be, I don't know, Patty Mills' last run, um, Joe Ingles. Th- th- this team just feels like they've been together for so long and it would nice to, it'd be nice to see them go on a long extended run, even without Ben Simmons, who's reportedly unlikely or doubtful to play for, for the Boomers, although we'll see if that actually, um, if he actually does decline it. But uh, yeah, I'm excited to see kind of what Australia does in, in, the, in the Olympics. Yeah, it was a tough break for uh, the Australian audience out there that uh, we're hoping for Ben Simmons to play for the Boomers this season. Um, and it will also, it sucks a little bit that uh, we, we, we can't go without mentioning that Andrew Bogut was waiting and trying to hold out for the Olympics, but he retired instead. Just couldn't keep up with... Uh, with the uh, regimen that would have had to, he'd had to go under with the extra year now added to the Olympic weight. So um, you're right. The Australian team, I think this is their last shot at really getting on the podium. Um, and they've never done that. Uh, they've never the medaled, side. right? They've never, never medaled right? from the men's okay. side. Uh, you have a core of Joe Ingles, Patty Mills, who turns into Steph Curry at the, at the Olympics. Um, and uh, <laughs> that it would be nice to see these guys. Uh, end it with a medal. I know that the the country is going to be rooting for them, and uh, they do have a shot at it. They really do. They really have a, a good shot at it. Um, so it, it would be nice to see that. I I do want to see Argentina how how they sort of perform. I know a lot of people got introduced by to Facu Campasso uh, over the last you know two months uh, watching the Nuggets in the playoffs, but. Um, FIBA Faku is a different story. He is a beast. Uh, if you thought he was great in the in the NBA, he's something else in the uh, in in the FIBA game. And they have a young team that could could really make some noise and, and scare some people um, outside of the U.S. So they might be a, a a chance to stand on the podium. And selfishly, as we both uh, we have we have colleagues in Australia, or sorry, in, in uh, Argentina and Spain. I can't wait for that game. They actually play each other mm-hmm. in the in the uh, in the round robin stage. Uh, I cannot wait for that game. That's that's going to be so fun. 
and and Canada as well, by the way. I, I'm excited to see them. I, it's unfortunate that Shea's obviously not going to play, so and Jamal Murray, so they've lost some offensive firepower. But the the amount of defensive talent they've got on that team with Nick Nurse pulling the strings, I would love to see them qualify for the Olympics and see what they can kind of do, um, even with Team USA in their group. Yeah, I I, w- I would as well. And I'm a well, I'm selfishly going to get. To you're, see them yeah, play. you're. Uh, <laughs> you can say it though. You can say it though. Yeah, I, I am going to get to see them play, and uh, I am a little bit biased in that uh, in that standing. Um, we would be remiss if we didn't mention that uh, the women are are also going to be a part of the Olympic Games as well, and they announced their roster uh, just yesterday, I believe it was. Um, it was a star-studded roster. A lot of uh, a lot of players that look like they're going to be their it's going to be their last run uh, at at another Olympic Games. Sue Bird, Durant, Diana Taurasi. Um, the, those two look like this might be it for them um, in terms of the uh, the Olympic Games. Uh, Asia Wilson, uh, last year's MVP in the WNBA, uh, she's getting the shot at it. Um, Brianna Stewart, and w- w- the list goes on there. Um, Tina Charles, shout out to her, she made it. Uh, you know, this year she's having an incredible year for the Washington Mystics. Um, they haven't been able to find the wins that they wanted, but uh, it, it is coming along well for her individually. Um, but uh, they sh- they should win the medal on their side. But it is going to be uh, a very very competitive um, women's uh, Olympic uh, qualification side in terms of. Um, I can't. I think there's five or six teams, Scott, outside of the U.S. that can medal. Um, Japan, mm-hmm. who's going to be the host um, nation. I saw them play in Ostan, Belgium, uh, a couple of years ago. They they bring a different brand of basketball to women's basketball where they shoot a ton of threes no matter what. They just get them up and they can shoot from all five positions. That is not normally seen at the women's game. They're going to be a tough out. Uh, Belgium. Um, they they lost uh, this last week. I want to say they lost a tough game um, in the women's Euro basket. They've bounced back since, and they're they're going to get rolling as we head into the Olympic Games. Canada is number two ranked in the world. Uh, Australia is always going to be good. France is good. Puerto Rico is the underdog. Uh, Serbia is tough. Spain is tough. So there are some teams here that um, you know could challenge at least give the U.S. a, a good game. Um, but this, to me, is going to be the most competitive women Olympic uh, field that we've ever had, and there's going to be really five or six teams vying for some medals. Interesting. Well, y- you know me. I I spent I grew up like 16 years in Belgium, so to hear that you know Belgium could be in that position, they'll be getting. They'll, I'll be rooting for them. Um, yeah. So I'm I'm excited. They're, to see what they're they good. Do. They're really good team, led by uh, Emma Messiman, um, who's actually you know taking time off the WMEA to play uh, for the national team. Um, and it, I was there when they qualified for the Olympic Games in Austin, uh, calling the games for Belgium. The energy in that arena, uh, I, I, it's you know nothing beats live sports. And we haven't, uh-huh. I haven't been able to, to do live sports in a long time. I know many people listening haven't either. But uh, it was it was similar to what's happening in Phoenix right now. If I want to give you a, a visual, oh, wow. um, you know, it, it was incredible. Uh, and and the, the, the celebration went on uh, for, for a long, long time, as you could imagine. Uh, the Belgian pumps were uh, they were filled. Um, <laughs> all right, let, let, let's get out of here. Uh, enjoy the, the, the draft lottery. We'll have plenty of time to talk about the Olympics coming up. You know, it's a passion of mine. You know I love that stuff. So we'll, we'll, we'll do that uh, right here on NBA Sound System. But in the meantime, we're now down to the final four. Um, you know, Suns, Clippers, we didn't get a chance to really touch on them, uh, but they play game two tonight. And really what it comes down to for me, Scott, is if, if Kawhi Leonard can't come back, I think this, the Clippers, um, you know, Cinderella run might end here. But uh, it's tough tough to see Kawhi Leonard go out with the injury. Uh, but, you know, Devin Booker has been incredible. And we'll, we'll definitely spend some time on him next week because we, uh, we didn't get a chance to talk enough about how great he's been in this postseason. Uh, check out NBA.com. We'll have you covered for the draft lottery. The Bucks Hawks series that gets started tomorrow on Wednesday. Uh, game one in that series. That should be fun. But in the meantime, we'll uh, we'll leave you with this break. If you missed any part of the podcast, you can check it out on NBA Sound System, wherever you get your podcast. And we'll be back next Tuesday, 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific, right here across the NBA Global Networks. For Scott Rafferty, I'm Carlin Gay. We'll see you next week.